Being well-traveled doesn't prepare you to live in another country. Authors and international living writers Susan Haskins and Dan Prusher tell us that in addition to learning a new language, there are subtle cultural differences that require some adjustment. There's a big difference between traveling and living, though, which we found out fairly quickly. Because when you actually live someplace, you immerse yourself in the culture, and no matter what your expectations are, you get surprised. Jeremy Bassetti works in international education with exchange students. He says that taking an internal inventory is one of the most important things a student can do before traveling. Students that kind of go haphazardly into the study abroad world often you know, don't have a sense of connectedness with the class or with their experience. So hear how these experts help you prepare for life as an expat or an exchange student on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Susan Haskins and Dan Presher, international living writers and authors of the new book, Live Richer, Spend Less, moved from Omaha, Nebraska nearly two decades ago and have lived in several different countries since then. So we had to ask them what inspired them to move from Nebraska to their first destination, Quito, Ecuador. You know what? If you've ever spent a winter in Nebraska, you probably know the answer to that. <laughs> um, we traveled a lot. Um, we had we married in 1997 and spent all of our vacations traveling overseas, mostly to go scuba diving. So we really wanted to live in a warmer environment. And I guess we just thought, hey, sooner rather than later, we were in our mid-40s back in 2001 when we made this leap, and um, it just seemed like the right thing for us at the time. We really didn't know quite what we would be doing or how we would make a living, but it really worked out well for us. We sort of had a lot of synergies with international living, and we've been writing for them since the very beginning of our adventure back in 2001. So it's worked out well. So how did you guys prepare then for the cultural adjustment? I would imagine that it wasn't uh, that big of a, a cultural curve because you were quite well-traveled by the time you moved. Yeah. Well, there's, a bit, there's a big difference between traveling and living, though, <clears throat> which we found out fairly quickly. Because right. when you actually live someplace you immerse yourself in the culture and no matter what your expectations are, you get surprised and, mm-hmm. and it can be a challenge. It can be great challenges. It can be energizing challenges if you approach it the right way, mm-hmm. but it's still a challenge. I, I think the biggest thing that you don't expect probably is the little cultural nuances that you just d- d- don't know to that, that will happen to you. Um, the big one, of course, is the language. If you're moving to a place where you don't speak the local language and you think you're going to learn it quickly, well, you surely can, but you have to devote your resources to doing that. You have to spend the time and really study and work hard. And we, of course, we sort of jumped into this international living gig and we weren't studying like we should have been. So it took us a little bit longer to realize that we really needed to do that. We needed to get our Spanish chops together. The other thing I think is just the cultural differences. They call it the manana attitude in Latin America, where 
Things don't happen in the same time frame that we're used to. Which is where we spend most of our time and throughout Latin America. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we're used to being able to pick up the phone or send an email or walk into an office and get something done quickly. In Latin America, that doesn't typically happen. Now, part of it is the language issue. Again, if you don't speak the language, it's going to be really hard to pick up the phone and call somebody and make something happen. But we went from being people who got eight things done in a day to people who realized that we should be happy if we got one thing done per day. So. <laughs> that was an adjustment. Yeah, that was definitely an adjustment. That <laughs> works for me, actually. Yeah. Um. yeah, you know, and now we're totally, we have totally sort of changed our internal culture so that we're much happier not having placing all these expectations on ourselves. You have lived in several different countries throughout the years. Where are you living now? Right now, we're residents of Mexico, once again. You know, this journey is one that takes you in places that you don't necessarily expect. So the (laughs) truth is, we're spending a lot more time in the States right now. We kind of consider ourselves roving expats because we're traveling a lot more. Uh, We're trying to see more of the world than we possibly, you know, as much as we possibly can before we get even older. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're spending more time in the States because we have a five-year-old granddaughter that we really are doting on and loving spending time. But we're full-time residents of Mexico these days. So that's where you'll find us when we're not traveling or in the States. Gotcha. So I want to ask you about your book, Live Richer, Spend Less, International Living's Ultimate Guide to Retiring Overseas. And I want to go out on a limb. Did you write this book or were you inspired to write this book because you've met other expats who were kind of doing things the wrong way or or struggling? Or what was your inspiration for this book? I don't think it was to correct anything uh, other it was much more just to distill provide a guide. our experience and provide kind of a guide because this whole idea of moving abroad for whatever reason, for retiring, for getting better health care, for having that adventure that you always wanted to have is a more and more popular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the internet made it uh, a much less exotic concept than it used to be when Susan and I started. Now, mainstream media is picking up on it. You can research it instantly on the internet. And we had 19 years of experience that we thought it was probably time to distill and, and put all in one place. So it's more of a guidebook. What are some of the myths surrounding expat living? There's a couple of myths that I think, I, I'm not sure how widespread they are, but one is that you are cutting your ties completely and even giving up your citizenship when you move overseas. Right. And that's not true. What you're doing is you're getting a resident visa to live in these countries. And you don't even have to do that. In some cases in Mexico, you can live for six months on a tourist visa. The other misconception is that you will sever all ties with your friends and family back home. And and the internet has changed all that. There was a time when making a long distance phone call to catch up with your friends and relatives back home was a big hurdle and and pretty expensive. Yeah, now it's free and you can do Mm -hmm. it with video. Uh, And going back to visit is often necessary. You want to be there for major life events, for birthdays, stuff like that. Nothing prevents you from doing that. But you can talk to your friends and loved ones every day and sometimes in video. And that's just common everywhere now. So, Right. And following up on that, I think, is the idea that you're going to be all alone and you're going to be lonely and, you know, not have a support group around you. But 
I will say that in all of the places that we've lived, there's been well-organized expat communities. And there are almost everywhere in the world these days. You will find other English speakers if that's your, your, uh, if you're, if you are an English speaker Mm -hmm. and they will become tremendous support for you. The expat communities that we've lived in are all very giving, welcoming. If you need to know how to go to the hardware store and ask for a certain kind of nail or screw or whatever, the expats will help you out. They'll tell you where the best doctors are, the best dentists, how to get from one place to another. It's, um, it's like Dan said, it's easier than ever. There are millions of us out there. So there are a lot of like-minded individuals to hook up with. And the internet, again, makes that an instantaneous thing. You can go on Facebook pages for the expat communities of almost every place where more than 10 or 12 expats live and talk to them in real time. Okay, good. I was going to ask you where you, where you find those uh, groups. So Facebook, um, LinkedIn on any other social media. International living has insider uh, network insider networking pages where you can hook up with people who are in the specific countries and communities you want to go to. It's everywhere. And Mm -hmm. a a lot of these communities have their own sort of um, online bulletin boards, et cetera, that you can find if you just do a quick Google search. But um, you know, there, there are just so many networks out there for people who want to do this. And I think that's why we're also seeing a growing number of singles who are doing this because they don't feel it's a daunting process anymore. We know, in fact, probably more single retired age women who are doing this, which is a real phenomenon. And they are just, you know, going for it. And I think it's great. Yes. Now, you touched on a few of the, the challenges. I want to talk about some of the surprises you've outlined in your book, Live Richer, Spend Less. And one that really intrigued me was that um, you proposed that you can actually double or triple your savings living abroad. How is that? It's a, We kind of call it um, cost of living arbitrage. Uh, just a, it's a simple mental exercise. If you imagine moving tomorrow to a place where uh, your utility bills are a tenth of what they are now, if you're paying for heating and air conditioning at all, if you choose the right climate, where you can take uh, your own personal car and all the maintenance and insurance that that entails off the top of your budget, where your health care is in a national plan and costs you maybe uh, anywhere from 55 to $150 a month, uh, if it's not free. Um, imagine what that does to your bottom line. If, if you're a homeowner, that's where you're going to see huge savings because, for instance, in Nebraska, which is where we're from, mm-hmm. has one of the highest property tax rates in the country. And so it's not uncommon to pay property tax of five to $10,000 or more each year in Ecuador, where we owned a small, comfortable condo, our property taxes were fifty-six dollars a year. So that's a huge savings. That's a huge you know, savings. That's yeah. a, a lot of money that you can put to use elsewhere. So if you if you cut your monthly bills in half or uh, by two thirds, that instantly expands your available resources by that much. Your money just goes that much farther. You find you can actually save a lot of money, put a lot of money into savings, which is where that idea comes from. Here in Mexico, we have 
we had we owned we don't we don't own anymore but we owned a huge 5000 square foot property house swimming pool all of that Town our taxes home. were $150 a year i mean wow. most of these countries are just unbelievably affordable when it comes to things like that yeah. Now, I think one thing that would also surprise a lot of uh, listeners and, and, and people reading your book um, is that there are assistant, assisted living facilities um, in various countries abroad. Is, is this kind of a new trend or is this something new that's, that's occurring? Yeah, I think it is a new trend. I think, you know, the, the playing field is getting more level all over the world and people are families are busier, they're more spread out than they ever have been. So there is a need to find a place for elderly people to age in place. Mm -hmm. Um, The the Lake Chapala area of Mexico is where we are really seeing this trend emerge. And I, I also believe that there it's because of all of the expats. I mean, there's generations of us uh, from the United States who have, retired to this part of Mexico and we need these kinds of services. So they're kind of, I I see Mexico sort of leading the way. And again, because they're so close to the U S leading the way in, in providing services for uh, those of us who have retired there and then find ourselves, Dan and I aren't there yet, (laughs) getting older and, and needing those kinds of uh, assisted living services. I think something else that ha- it has to do with it is medical tourism. Uh, people are now finding that they can go to other countries and get uh, knee replacements, plastic surgery, heart operations, shoulder surgeries done at a fraction of the cost of the United States. And when they do that, they they actually see how affordable medical and care how is. Good it is. And you could get a um, an extended care uh, nurse or or service person to live in your home and take care of you or your mother or father if they needed that help for an amazingly affordable price. So in home hospice care right. is kind of kind of matches the the family care model of Latin America. I mean, you're right. Um, the tercera dad, the older generation, stays at home and their families take care of them. You can actually afford to do that if you live in some of these places. You can afford that care. Wow. Now, I, I know your your book and your writings have uh, really been focused on the retiring community, uh, the retirement community. Um, but would you say that the things that um, people should consider if they're looking to move abroad would apply to aspiring expats regardless of age? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And we are seeing more and more younger people, uh, people with families who are doing this sort of thing. Um, You know, there's a whole digital nomad trend, of course, that if you can work on the internet, you can work from anywhere. But a lot of people are moving with their kids and just finding opportunities. And, you know, there's a sort of disenchantment with um, the sort of consumerism and the focus on values that aren't what we want our children to have. So families with kids are moving overseas and introducing them to a different culture. They're learning new language. They're spending more time with their families, of course. And mm-hmm. then they maybe go back to the States for university or or stay where they've been raised. But yeah, we're seeing people of all ages doing this. We know a lot of people who have made a conscious decision to raise their kids 
as bilingual, worldly kinds of citizens. And, and there's no better way to do that than moving to another country. And you can even educate your kids online now, homeschool them, uh, use the, inter- the internet as a resource for finding great schools in whatever country you want to go to. Um, the research is all available in there. So it's not stopping a lot of young families from moving abroad and taking advantage. We have a link to the International Living website where you can find Susan and Dan's book, Live Richer, Spend Less, on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world one story at a time. We invite you to travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift. Traveling abroad for the first time is one of the most transformative experiences one can have, especially for an international exchange student. But international educator Jeremy Bassetti says the experience can be richer and less intimidating with appropriate planning and some introspection. I actually applaud parents who recognize the value of travel to their child's development. But parents are becoming very reluctant to let their child travel abroad because today's world is very disruptive. We've seen Spain, we've seen problems in Hong Kong, you know, they've been peppering the news. And many institutions that are facilitating study abroad exchange programs are still not doing, in my opinion, an adequate job of preparing students for their cross-cultural experiences. I say still because I actually received zero preparation when I studied uh, for a summer in China during law school. Are you seeing, because you are in the educational industry, are you seeing any changes with regards to prep? The institution that I work in uh, does a very good job preparing students for their international experiences. So we have this very lengthy orientation and onboarding process that shows the students the potential and perceived risks of traveling to a specific destination, but also helping them articulate what they want to get out of it academically. So I'm seeing this trend increase. I went to a regional NAFSA conference and more and more questions are being raised about student preparedness. Luckily, our institution does very well, and I think more and more uh, institutions are getting on board, perhaps due to their legal departments growing and expanding. Oh, that makes me happy as a lawyer myself. So what does NAFSA stand for? NAFSA is the Association of International Educators. It's one of the world's largest associations and conferences dedicated to questions about international education and exchange. Are students from other colleges able to participate in your institution's study abroad programs? No. For my institution, students need to be currently enrolled in the program, enrolled in the college, and also a degree-seeking student. But we do partner with consortia organizations like CCIS that helps place students in other universities and institutions around the globe. 
CCIS is the College Consortium for International Studies. Our orientation process is geared towards students and just students. Of course, if parents have questions, they can reach out to our international education department and and get answers there. But we're more um, focused on uh, helping students independently. Uh, One of the pet peeves that I have is when a student's parent hovers around a lot. Part of the study abroad experience is is meant to be kind of a transformative or a formative experience, right? So I'm of the camp that believes that parents should let the child breathe and develop some sort of independence. Mm -hmm. So our orientations are strictly designed for students, helping them understand what their experience is like. Uh, So setting the expectations for food and for for housing, how much money they need, whether the risks that we spoke earlier about, that's what our orientation sessions are geared towards. And we have a number of those prior to the travel Mm -hmm. portion of the course. So we really like to reinforce these ideas in our orientation sessions. What does orientation include? It depends on the course. So the courses that I lead, they are uh, humanities-based courses. So it, it is like you are taking a normal course but with an international component. So we have a great deal of coursework to do, not just in country, but prior to country. So we deal with history and culture. And of course, we do kind of touch on some of the language, very basic language skills, and also kind of cultural expectations. Prior to traveling, what are some of the most important things a a student can do in addition to orientation? I think one of the important things that students can do before travel. Well, there are a number of them, but one of them is to really think about the reasons why they would like to study abroad and try to articulate those intentions and goals of the experience. Students that kind of go haphazardly into the study abroad world often, you know, don't have a sense of connectedness with the class or with their experience. So I think that's one of the main points that I like to advise my students, right? Think about why it is they're going. Another question a student should have before travel is, and this is very logistical, right? But to think about the travel insurance portion and to really understand that, um, because oftentimes nothing happens on study abroad programs. Things do happen from time to time. Another important question students should ask themselves is how much money that they need abroad uh, and to basically plan to have more money than they expect. What advice do you give students for handling their money? We advise our students to have a little bit of cash on hand and also to have a backup credit card and or debit card and also to give their parents a heads up just in case there is international fraud on the credit card and their access to money is withheld. So we like to layer it. Students have a little bit of cash on them. They can withdraw money as needed in country, but also have a backup plan. What are some of the essentials that students should take in in addition to toiletries? I mean, that's hopefully that's a given. Uh, but what are some of the more important essentials that students should have on hand? Well, Tony, I think it depends on how long the the program is. In any case, what I advise my students is to you know pack your bags and then the night before you travel, take half of it out <laughs> or more. Think uh, uh, less is more in in travel. And I would even go so far as to say that 
students don't need to bring all of their toiletries. They can find and buy in-country most of what they need as they need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, you, you've traveled uh, quite, a, quite a bit, uh, so you know that in your suitcases, you know, half of the things that you bring are, are typically unused. Oh, um, not not me. I pack very lightly. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no, maybe not you specifically, but right. I mean, we that, that that's happened to us all. Uh, we think we need more than we actually do. Yeah. So I would err on the side of uh, you know bringing less. Well, I I know you know the uh, time I lived in Russia, there was a, uh, a a toiletry item I needed and I could not find at all, and so I had to improvise. And that was a very interesting experience. And so I always wonder, you know, I think with regards to toiletries, it also depends on the country because some things that we're accustomed to in the West, we may not find in a developed or developing country. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, that can also be part of the cultural experience that the students are are craving (laughs) so badly. mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the point of studying abroad is to experience something new and different and how other people around the world do things. So if it's not an essential item, if it's not, you know, of course, bring medication, but part of that is cultural experiment of seeing new things and, you know, new people. How can a student make the most of their international travel experience while in country and even after they return home? I guess the important point to remember here is that the mere act of studying abroad doesn't give the student any special gifts or qualities or anything like that. So students should expect to cultivate some of those on their own. And how does one go about doing that abroad? One of the things students can consider, especially if they're on a long-term study abroad program, which is the type of program I advocate uh, for, but for a student to, to have kind of this full set of experiences, I think they need to make an intention and set some goals to engage with the culture, right? Ensure that they're going to museums and experiencing art and festivals, right? That's the the essence of studying abroad. They also should, you know, not neglect their academic quality of their program. I mean, that's one of the premises for, for them going abroad as well. So cultural engagement, paying attention to academics, Also, socialization, especially socialization with uh, the local population. If you're an American, hanging out with other Americans abroad is very tempting. But part of the reason why students go abroad is to experience the news. So uh, I would advise them to make local friends and to, to have those experiences. I had the benefit of the wise counsel that these two guests offer because certainly when I moved to London for the first time, albeit as a student, but I ended up living there, 
but certainly when I traveled to China to study law, I had no preparation for either of those experiences, and it would have been really helpful. And I'm curious, dear, how did Michigan, the University of Michigan, prepare you for your international exchange experiences when you were in business school? Other than just an orientation that we had to kick things off when we were in Europe and having an international business class that talked about how to handle yourself in certain situations, that was about it. Fortunately for me, the assignment that I got took me to France, and so it was really my undergraduate experience having taken two years of French at Michigan, which I didn't use for nearly seven years, that really helped me handle that experience, and believe me, I needed it. Much more than I had, but London was on my own accord. So, But speaking of wise counsel, we're going to leave you with some advice and a really wonderful word from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Once a year, go someplace you've never been before. Very wise words. We are so honored that you let us into your home, and we hope you'll invite your family and friends to join us on these journeys. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you for allowing us to connect you to the world, one story at a time, on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.